What is up, all of you Ugnots and Jawas out there, and welcome back to a new episode of Mando Talk, your home for Ahsoka spoiler discussions, breakdowns, reviews. I'm your host, Caleb Keller, and episode seven, we've gotten it, we've received it. Written by Dave Filoni, directed by Greta Vasant Patel, titled Dreams and Madness. And not only am I going to have some dreams about this episode, but there's going to be some things that cause some mental madness. And not in a bad way, in a great way. Another really fun, great episode. Of course, this is the penultimate episode of this season of Ahsoka. And I'm here to break it down for you, give you my review. And this is one of the final ones for Ahsoka. That's right. This is the penultimate episode. So that means next week I'll have the finale breakdown episode. But don't forget, at some point, we're trying to work through it on the calendars. We're going to do an Ahsoka Season 1 reviewed podcast episode featuring myself, Zach Horvath, and DJ Foster. Two people that are familiar to this podcast but we're going to come together, have an opportunity for all three of us to get together yet again to share our overall opinions for season one of Ahsoka. So stay tuned with that. Don't have the date for that 100% locked, but I want to make sure you know that you got this episode that you're listening to, next week's finale, and then an a season one reviewed. So three total podcast episodes remaining to go as we are Mando Talk, a companion podcast for Ahsoka, and then we'll turn the page and head to the next series. But until then, let's dive into Ahsoka Part 7, Dreams and Madness. Make sure you follow me on socials, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. Really, the two main ones that I'm active on are Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it, at MandoTalk, and then on TikTok. Follow me at Casual Geek Clips on there. I have that name because I, I like to make TikToks about other things other than Star Wars. So yeah, there you go. If you want to you have some more with me, check me out on those platforms. Those links are down in the description. And I'll go ahead and plug Discord. Discord's in the description as well. Five-star ratings. Keep those rolling on podcast platforms. It's really helping. I'm loving to see the feedback. The five stars are great. It really helps. Click those buttons. Do all the things. You know what to do. You know what to do. All the things that help the algorithm. Anyway, let's get into this breakdown. So we open up in a scene that I'm very shocked that we got, if I'm being completely honest. We open on Coruscant. And I'm actually kind of glad now that I've seen the content of the scene, I'm glad that we got it. So Hera is being put to trial. Senator Ziono is disagreeing with her report and believes Hera should be stripped of her titles and court-martialed. Hera talks that talk Baby, she responds. She says something like, I protected the New Republic by ignoring you, homie. I didn't ignore the New Republic's orders. I ignored you, bruh, because you suck. This Ziono dude sucks. I can't figure out if he truly is a mole for Thrawn or if he's just a horrible politician or horrible senator or whatever role that he plays in this New Republic. Dude is awful at his job and I really don't think that they're I mean I, it would be cool to see them play out that Ziono is actually like a mole for Thrawn but I don't think it's heading that route I think it's just showing that the New Republic government is kind of crappy 
kind of crappy, and that's why we end up getting the the uh, events of the sequels because you you always have those those dudes in there that that think they're the that that, that think they're hot stuff, and all of their decisions are just utter crap. If we're being completely honest, Ziono is currently that dude, but but Hera kind of puts him in his place. I loved that response. Carson Teva arrives, bringing up the events that occurred on Mandalore during season three of The Mandalorian as evidence of a larger plot that evil is returning. That was super cool. We got a Moff Gideon name drop because Teva's like, dude, Moff Gideon's out there. He ain't acting alone. Ziono, of course, is acting like this dude is just one lord by one warlord by himself. Ziono again, yet again, an idiot, an idiot. But this it does confirm there's been confusion. There's been confusion. When is Ahsoka season one occurring? This confirms it is, in fact, after The Mandalorian season three. So as far as the timeline goes, there you go. I know a lot of you are timeline junkies out there, and you want to know when is, is these things happening. So that officially puts the nail in the coffin as far as the theory that's been going around. If you think back to season three, when Grogu sees Purgle traveling beside them in hyperspace, people were theorizing, oh my gosh, are those the same Purgle that Ahsoka's riding in? Well, now we know it's not because these events are occurring after the Mandalorian season three finale. So there you go. I was kind of hoping, I was rooting for that theory if I'm being honest, but I like the clear path here regarding the timeline anyway continuing on c-3po arrives to speak on behalf of leia that was really cool and it wasn't just a cameo for cameo's sake because we've gotten the leia mention leia of course is a massive deal in the new republic at this point and we even get a title leia is currently the leader of the defense council and that really shuts ziono up because c C-3PO walks in and is clarifying that Hera was acting on Leia's orders, and of course, Ziono has to kind of step down at that point. Really cool moment to get 3PO stepping in there. It makes sense. It's an easy way to have Leia represented and an easy way for us as fans to feel like those original trilogy heroes that would be massive at this current time during the New Republic. This is an easy way to make them feel present using the droids, using dialogue, and 3PO was utilized so well here. So I really like that. All right, continuing on here on Coruscant. After the trial, after this little mini trial, Mon Mothma asks to speak with Hera. Hera reveals that Leia did actually authorize her mission to Satos eventually. Mothma asks how real the threat of Thrawn returning is, and Hera states they have to be prepared for the worst, and hope for the best. And that's where we kind of leave Coruscant. That was it. I got to be honest. I was thinking, oh no, we're going to Coruscant. Are we going to have this massive episode where we talk about the political landscape of the New Republic? Which is fine. That's fine. I loved it in, in The Mandalorian Season 3. I enjoyed that Dr. Pershing episode. Yes, I did. But here, the penult- penultimate episode of Ahsoka, when I saw that opener, I was thinking... Oh no, <laughs> the uh, episode before the finale, are we going to spend all of our time on Coruscant here? But I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we didn't. Um, the pacing of, of getting Hera's plot finalized for this season of Ahsoka was done tremendously well. What we needed to get done, got done. We got Mon Mothma in the mix. We got Leia, 3PO in the mix, Carson Teva in the mix. And then we're moving on back to the other galaxy, and back into space. So, Ahsoka, 
in space is training with a holographic message of Anakin Skywalker during the Clone Wars, who mentions that Ahsoka will have to be ready to fight General Grievous, Asajj Ventress, and Count Dooku. Now, if you've watched movies, you know who General Grievous is, you know who Count Dooku is, but if you're someone that hasn't seen animation, Asajj Ventress, you may be like, who the heck is that? Asajj was essentially like Dooku's apprentice, and there's a whole lot more with Asajj's story. I highly recommend going back and checking that out, but I won't dive into that here. Just go check out Clone Wars. You would you will greatly appreciate it. And there's even like novels and, and further content diving into Asajj out there that I highly, highly recommend. And then, of course, the training ends with Anakin saying, I, <coughs> excuse me, the training ends with Anakin saying, I know you can do this, Ahsoka. Ahsoka reveals Anakin made 20 or more of those recordings and she is listening to the last one. And she ends it by saying he was a good master. This was pretty emotional. It was really cool to see that Anakin had the care and the love for Ahsoka to make these messages. And now I'm sure Ahsoka just watches the crap out of them. Like all 20 of them, I'm sure she finds the time to visit those frequently throughout her kind of meditation process when she's on her own. Really cool stuff there. Huang reports the whales are ending their journey as their speed is decreasing. Ahsoka plans to find the enemy, which will help them find Sabine. After some fun banter between Ahsoka and Huang, some joking back and forth again, Huang just continues to crush that role, being our comedic relief. The Purgle exit hyperspace at Peridia, but the planet is surrounded by detonators seemingly planted by Thrawn's forces. The Purgle jump into hyperspace to escape the destruction, and Ahsoka and her ship is now alone, trying to maneuver their way to the planet's surface, which they eventually do, and they spot the Eye of Satos. Multiple fighters are deployed to go after Ahsoka, and she plans to lead them into the debris field to destroy them or hide from them. Really cool moments here. It felt very Star Wars-y, felt very OG, felt very original trilogy as far as having to maneuver through space, hiding, using debris field to hide from the villains. I loved this. And I, it's very interesting that the Purgle are gone. We don't see them come back. The only way I could see them coming back is somehow Ahsoka calling them through the Force. But I don't know how that's possible at this point. So my head is scratching. How are our heroes going to get out of this galaxy and back to our galaxy? I'm dying to know, and of course we got one more week to maybe see. Unless they somehow get stranded there, and season one ends on a massive cliffhanger, which is possible, because the reports are that a season two is going to be in development with how successful this season has been. So we'll definitely see. But yeah, the Purgle are, are gone. They've bounced. They uh, took enough destruction. They need to bounce, refuel, get that energy, get that life built back up, and, and maybe show back up, or just be like, nah, we did our part, Ahsoka. You're there. Figure it out. Because, I mean, they dropped off Thrawn and Ezra, and they haven't bothered with with uh, picking, picking Ezra, at least, back up. So, we'll see. We'll see. All right. On Peridia, Thrawn is notified of the arrival of Ahsoka by Enoch. Enoch's hologram has a green smoke effect to it. That's one thing I noticed. Now, I know I've speculated. I think this army that Thrawn has is all Night Sister magic, and the way that that holographic image looked of Enoch's really gives me some strong, at least a little bit of evidence to further that theory of mine, that I think 
that Thrawn's army is just one massive undead army kind of kind of vibes going on, all created by these Night Sisters, all created by the great mothers. Well, speaking of great mothers, we've got Morgan, who then hands Thrawn information on Ahsoka's past, which she got from the Inquisitorial database. That's cool. Getting Inquisitor plugs here. Those are still some, some things to consider. Thrawn learns that Anakin was her master, and because of this, Thrawn then orders to withdraw the fighters that are chasing Ahsoka. Thrawn does this to control all variables in hopes to always be one step ahead of her. I know that in this moment, Thrawn is acting calm, cool, and collected, but when he reads... Excuse me. If you can't tell, I'm getting over kind of a cough here, so if I cough throughout this recording, I apologize. Um, Anyway, you can tell when Thrawn reads this database and he reads the Anakin Skywalker line that that's her master, her former master. He knows she's very well trained then. She's very dangerous. She's very capable. And him withdrawing the fighters is 100% him thinking, okay, if I keep chasing her, they're toast. I'm just wasting resources that at that point. So I'm just going to pull them back, and she, he's going to try to be one step ahead of her at all points because he wants to control every possible thing. Like, he, if he pulls those fighters back, then he knows what he's going to do, what she's going to do next, and that is to locate Sabine. Like, she doesn't have any pressure. She's going to hide out there. She's going to find... She's going to try to locate Sabine, and then that way he can follow her, which is essentially kind of what ends up happening in the episode. So there you go. If you haven't seen Rebels, this episode does a phenomenal job of showing you why Thrawn is such a threat. He is such a mastermind. He is always playing chess, not checkers. He's a step, two steps, three steps ahead of you, and this episode alone does a great job of portraying that. Okay, continuing on. Ahsoka hides out in the remains of the Purgle. Her and Huang figure out that Thrawn has been found by the villains, and Huang attempts to run a scan to locate Sabine. Not much to break down there, other than uh, it was kind of eerie feeling that uh, that uh, Ahsoka's hiding out in those Purgle bones, the uh, wasteland, the graveyard of the Purgle out there in space. Again, I'm feeling icky about that. Talked about that last week. On Peridia. Ezra learns of the state of the galaxy. We get a Zeb line. And it it seems like this is going to be the only allusion to Zeb this entire season. Zeb is training recruits for the New Republic. We get that information. So maybe he's too busy to get involved here in this story. Ezra pushes to learn how she found him. Sabine reveals Ahsoka took her in as an apprentice. Ezra asks if Ahsoka is coming, and Sabine says it's complicated. Balin and Shin are now leading a group of nomads, and you can see them looking on from afar. Now, more frustration here with Sabine. You gotta tell Ezra what's going on here. You gotta share with him that Thrawn is coming, and I'm sure by the end of the events of this episode... Ezra's going to know. I get it. I know Sabine wants to live in the happiness of being with and reunited with her long-lost friend. I get that. But, man, you got one of the largest threats in the galaxy chasing you at this moment, and you keep saying it's complicated regarding how she, how she got there, how they might get off the planet. <clears throat> eh. It's okay. It's fine. Again, I get it in a real-world sense. You want to enjoy the moment. But also, 
you got to have the the mindset of, okay, I found you. Now let's try to figure out how to stay with each other as long as possible. I get it, though. Ezra eventually kind of figures out on his own whenever the villains end up finding them. And he sees, okay, something's going on here. These villains have tracked Sabine. Uh, Ahsoka ends up getting involved. So I'm sure he's going to know fully the events uh, by next week's episode. Okay, next up. The Great Mothers come to Thrawn. He asks them to find Ahsoka in the space graveyards, and they seemingly use witchcraft to read a star map, a map of space, essentially. Huang can't find Sabine. Ahsoka says they don't need a scan, and there's another way to find her, and that other way is the Force. She begins to connect with the Force and calls out for Sabine. Sabine hears her which gives Ahsoka enough information as she is able to see her. The witches also in this moment locate Ahsoka in space and Thrawn orders Enoch to open fire on her coordinates. I'll pause there for a second. I love the way this was shot. Like we see Ahsoka's face close up as she's reaching out through the force. We flash to Sabine. We see her face close up, connecting to the Force, and she hears Ahsoka. So that was really cool. Again, her Force abilities are slowly increasing. Then we flash back to Ahsoka, connecting to Sabine some more, but then it was really scary there for a second when it flashes straight to the witch's face, and you get a super close shot of the Great Mother. That was really cool. That was really cool. That had me going, ooh, that was interesting. I loved the way that was shot. So that's a shout-out to the director for sure let's see if there was anything else there that i wanted to point out and i don't think there is i don't think there is uh, just again the connection of the force that sabine is continually growing upon that may have been more so ahsoka's power enabling her to be able to hear her and and kind of communicate back to her but still she's she's tuning into the force in some way okay so Thrawn orders Enoch to open fire on her coordinates. Ahsoka attempts to flee the fire raining down on them, which flushes her into hiding, which, again, is what Thrawn wanted because it will lead her away from them as she is trying to find Sabine. Again, Thrawn is two steps, three steps, four steps ahead of you. And, again, great job that this episode does regarding that. Okay, continuing on, Peridia. Sabine and Ezra spot Balin and Shin in the distance. Balin orders Shin to contact Thrawn and kill Sabine Wren and Ezra Bridger, Bridger to take her place in the Rising Empire. And here's a quote. Your ambition drives you in one direction. My path lies in another. One parting lesson, Shin. Impatience for victory will guarantee defeat. Shin sends nomads after Sabine and Ezra, and she nods to her master, a parting nod. Thrawn sends two ships of troopers to the coordinates Shin sent, and then we're kind of set the stage for battle the rest of this episode. My goodness gracious, what is our dude Balin up to? I was not expecting this in the slightest. And it seems like Thrawn wasn't expecting this in the slightest. So here's the first variable, maybe the second, because last week Thrawn was thrown off by the fact that Ahsoka Tano was still alive. 
Second variable that Thrawn is surprised by is why the crap is Balin not involved with my troops? What is he doing? Where is he at? What does he have going on? I am dying to know by far, I mean, other than Thrawn, other than Ezra, for me, by far, the character that I'm most interested in spending time with is Balin Skull. What a phenomenal character. Rest in peace, Ray Stevenson. It has been fantastic to see this portrayal in this season by Ray Stevenson with this Balin Skull character. I have loved every second of it. I hate, I absolutely hate that last week's going to be the last time ever. That is an absolute bummer. That is the only thing that really bums this season out. I'm interested to see what happens with Balin Skull next week because it's really going to stink if they set up something massive for that dude to do in a second season of Ahsoka or maybe even the Filoni movie, and it's just something that we cannot see. I'm sure they could potentially recast the role, but it's not going to be the same. That's how great Ray Stevenson has done. So shout out to him. Rest in peace. But in, in a, just a Star Wars level, what do you think Balin Skull's up to? Like, we even see him eventually walk away, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but he walks away from the fight and goes in a completely different direction. What in the world is calling to him? I am dying to know. It's got to be something massive if he's willing to give one final lesson to Shin and part their ways. And it's really cool, and it gives me hope, that maybe Shin is going to be a massive player for the bad guys in the rest of the Mandoverse. Like, I'm hopeful that she stays committed to being bad and being on Thrawn's side, like working for Thrawn and doing things for him. That would be really cool, in my opinion. But what do you think? I'm, I'm dying to know. What are your Balin theories? Let me know down in the comments if you're on YouTube, Discord if you're on podcast, or Twitter if you're on podcast as well, or really anywhere. Just follow me on Twitter, X, at Mando Talk, at Mando Talk, and let's continue this discussion for sure. So that kind of ends us there with Balin for the, for the moment. We'll come back to Balin in a second. <clears throat> Sabine and Ezra are fleeing the group of nomads as the Noti slingshot rocks at them. The Noti proved to be treacherous creatures, definitely giving those Ewok vibes. Ezra orders the Noti to circle up and for the species to hide. Ahsoka arrives in the atmosphere and then Shin arrives at the location that Ezra and Sabine are at. Ahsoka leaps out of her ship as Huang pilots to draw the fighters away. Ahsoka conveniently lands right beside Balin. Lightsabers ignite and clash. And I got concerned here. I thought Balin was going to meet his demise here in these moments. I thought Balin was toast. This was their rematch. This is when it would make sense for Ahsoka to win this battle, to be victorious. And I was worried that we weren't going to see Balin's ultimate goals himself come to fruition. And I'm glad it, it resulted in the way that it did. So let's continue on. Sabine offers Ezra his lightsaber. He says it's hers now and as as his ally is the Force, he begins Force-pushing and kicking his way through battle as Sabine does her thing. Balin and Ahsoka continue their fight. Shin sneaks behind Ezra and cuts a hair 
or a little bit of hair off of his head. It kind of fizzles. It burns a little bit. Sabine kills a nomad with the lightsaber. Ezra stops Shin's lightsaber with the force. By far the coolest thing in this episode for me. That was a very cool power to see. And then Sabine begins fighting Shin. Yet again, lightsabers clashing. Cool moments. Very cool moments. I love the flashing back and forth between Ahsoka and Balin fighting. And also Sabine and Ezra working together against Shin and her nomad forces. Alright. Let's see if we continue on. Oh, oh, no. I don't want to continue on actually. I want to talk about something for a second. Sabine offering Ezra his lightsaber and him not taking it. It would make sense for Ezra to not want the lightsaber in that moment because he has not had a lightsaber for five plus years at this point. He would be way out of tune with it. Shin would probably beat him because he has not been practicing that craft. However, he is out in the middle of nowhere all he can do is connect to the force and connect to nature. So it would make sense that he passes on that lightsaber. But I have to admit, I hate that he did. Because I'm dying to see Ezra wield that lightsaber yet again. And really go back to being that Jedi that we saw in Rebels. That we all know that Ezra Bridger has the potential to be. And I'm sure we'll get it eventually. But I agree with the decision to not have that moment right there. We have to be patient. We have to take that lesson from Balin. Balin tried to give that lesson to Shin. you got to be patient or you're not going to be victorious, essentially. As long as we're patient, it is really going to pay off. Think about that Filoni movie. Think about in that Filoni movie, Ezra Bridger picks up a lightsaber and he goes, ham. Think about how exciting that will be in theater, watching it with a bunch of fans. I would love that moment, and I, and I hope it comes. I hope it comes. Okay, let's see. Anything else that I need to point out from those moments? I don't think so, so let's move on. Balin seems to be beating Ahsoka yet again, but Huang blasts him away from her, and Ahsoka rides a howler to the direction of Ezra, Sabine, and Shin, and we see one final shot, Balin kind of thinking to himself, but walks the other direction, and that's the last time that we see him. Dying to know... What does he have going on? I hope we learn next week. I really hope we learn next week. But maybe you can teach me right now. Again, let me know your theories. Let me know your Balin theory for sure. All right, really just a few more things left in this episode because I really feel like this episode was a lot of just action and not really like deep lore and deep things that we have to break down. Just a lot of combat, which is fine. A lot of little aerial battles and and some ground battles. So... Really cool stuff. Action-packed episode. And a good pacing, I might add. So well-written, well-directed. Good job to, to all involved regarding uh, those things. The troopers arrive on ground at Peridia. That, you know, because Shin called Thrawn. Thrawn's like, all right, we're going to send some troopers out there. Those troopers arrive. Thrawn realizes Balin is not in the battle. Again, Thrawn not this is another variable that he has no control over of and that he's surprised by, so that was interesting. Ezra and Sabine are surrounded by troopers, which Shin orders to take them out. Ezra talks his way out of some things just to give Ahsoka some time to show up and cause some problems. That was very much so how Ezra was in Rebels. If you haven't seen Rebels, 
Ezra is a very smooth talker. He definitely is great at buying some time. And yet again, here in live action, he does just enough to buy some time. But I have to question, why the heck, in all reality, Shin gives these troopers the order to shoot and kill? Why would they stop to listen to Ezra talk? That wouldn't really make sense. They would probably just continue to just shoot. They don't care who this dude is. Just go ahead and shoot him. Call it a day. But I get it. It's cool. It's it's all good fun. It's all good fun. Well, the three, Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ezra, begin working together to kill the troopers. Thrawn orders to call off the pursuit. Morgan questions this as Thrawn declares this first match with, with Ahsoka a success. Thrawn shares with their enemy, distracted, the cargo transfer is now almost complete which means they can soon leave. Ahsoka has lost the one thing she couldn't lose, and that is time. Now, again, revealing Thrawn is extremely calculated with every single thing that he does. But I got to go back to this. Who the crap and what the crap are in those cargo little things? It's definitely people, but who are the people? What is going on? I'm dying to know. And I can't wait to figure out. Hopefully that's a reveal for the finale. Because this is now two episodes in a row where there have been, there's been a heavy focus on making sure the audience is asking what the heck is in those. So I'm sure theories are abound with that one as well. And I won't even begin to try to predict it. My job here is just to give you the breakdown and the review. So I digress. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but yeah, I love these moments. I love the action. I loved everything about this, about these scenes as far as getting Ahsoka, Ezra, Sabine all kind of reunited and back in the mix together. Well, here we are. We've made it to the final note. The troopers flee the scene. Shin is left with our three heroes just facing face off here. Ahsoka tells her to surrender her weapon and that she can help her. She hesitates, folks. I really thought Shin was going to give in for a second. So maybe there's a shot that Shin does turn to the light side. I kind of hope not because that is a common trope that is used throughout Star Wars. And I don't want to say trope because that's that's part of the DNA of Star Wars is, is teaching that no matter what mistakes you've made in the past, you can always correct it and become good again. And I appreciate that lesson. That is such a vital lesson for the youth to know is you can always be brought back to the light. It's never too late. But in this case, with our current state of the Mandoverse, I would like to see Shin continue to stay dark, at least for now, throughout the rest of this season. But the seeds have been planted to where if she does turn to the light, I buy it. Because she's starting to question things. I mean, Balin has suddenly ditched her. Balin's doing his own thing. So now she's probably wondering, okay, so what is really my true purpose now that I don't have Balin kind of ordering me around and, and telling me what to do? That's what she's now tasked to do is to kind of figure out her own path. Here in this moment, she decides to flee. She flees the scene on the Howler. Ahsoka then has her moment of reunification with Ezra and hugs Ezra and Huang arrives with the ship and Ezra says the quote, guys, I'm getting a feeling. I think I might be going home after all. And that is the end of 
this week's episode. Part 7 of Ahsoka titled Dreams and Madness. All of these weeks I've been giving you like my score. Let's see. Let's see if I can recall this. I think I gave episode 1 a 9.5. Episode 2 I think I gave a 9. Episode 3... Ooh, I don't know what I gave that one. Maybe it was like an 8-something. It was either an 8-something or a 9-something. I want to say like 8.5, maybe. That was the one where Ahsoka flipped in space. Episode 4, Episode 5, Episode 6, all three of those in a row have been 10 out of 10s. I think this one for me is back in like the 8.8 region. 8.8 out of 10. Great action. Fun moments with Ezra, Sabine, and Ahsoka. I am just somebody that loves and eats up all the lore. So getting that these past three weeks have been a dream come true. So this one obviously felt like a little slower pace compared to those just because I wasn't getting all of that rich dialogue and that those rich, meaningful, impactful moments. So that's probably why I'm viewing this one as an 8.8 out of 10 at the moment. That could change. But, I mean, if we talk about the average across the board with that, this is phenomenal. This has been a phenomenal season. and We're one episode away, and I'm telling you what, guys. If this finale sticks the landing, this is going to be the best season of live-action Star Wars television to date. Period. Even better than The Mandalorian Season 2, and that is, that is a shock for me to say because this is Mando talk, after all. I started this thing to talk about The Mandalorian, and it just grew out from there because I just love talking all things Star Wars. So me saying that this has the potential to be better than Season 2 of The Mandalorian, depending on next week, is, is saying something, folks. This is Star Wars to a T. This is a love letter to prequel fans, to animation fans, and it's even got a sprinkling of original trilogy um, appreciation in there. Just fantastic stuff. Great job to the creators with this episode. Obviously, again, shout out to Dave Filoni. Shout out to the director, Greta Vasant Patel. I believe I have that name recorded down correctly. But what did you think? Give me your rating down in the comments on Discord, on Twitter. I want to hear from you. Did I miss anything in this breakdown? Is there anything that I glanced over i may have missed it i may have had it in my notes and i may have missed it or i may have just missed it in general let me know what your thoughts are on this episode wherever you are listening give me five stars give me the like give me the comments reach out to me talk to me i appreciate everybody so much for riding with me through this season of ahsoka we got two more podcast episodes to go along with the season of ahsoka my finale breakdown coming next week and then an Ahsoka Season 1 reviewed podcast episode featuring myself, DJ, and Zach. I'm going to leave it there, though. Follow me on socials at MandoTalk and on TikTok at CasualGeekClips. And until next week, as always, we have spoken. <laughs>